Dale Denwald. And I'm Nuria martinez Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. A near-total abortion ban will become law in Oklahoma. Meanwhile, the United States comes to grips with a potential overturn of Roe v. Wade. We'll discuss what this means for abortion in the state of Oklahoma and what might come next. So politics reporter Carmen Foreman and health reporter Dana Branham are kindly with us today. Uh, So first, let's bring in Carmen, who's calling in from the state capitol. Carmen, what can you tell us about Oklahoma's anti-abortion legislation that Governor Kevin Stitt signed recently? What does it do and when does it take effect? It's a great question. Uh, there, There are two different laws that took effect. One took effect already and one is supposed to take effect, could take effect as soon as sometime in August. Um, So the one that already took effect, Governor Stitt signed a bill last week, I believe it was last week, I'm losing track of the days, but um, that basically copies Texas's um, six-week abortion ban that is enforced through civil lawsuits. So, um, you know, basically, uh, if you think that your neighbor had an abortion after a, quote, fetal heartbeat was detected, so that's usually after six weeks, um, then you can file a lawsuit against, uh, you know, the person who performed that abortion or somebody who helped her get that abortion. And then the other law that Governor Stitt signed um, makes performing an abortion a felony. That one has not taken effect yet. It's supposed to take effect in August. Um, And if it does, the punishment for performing an abortion uh, would be up to 10 years in prison or up to $100,000 in fees, fines and fees. The Texas-style ban after six weeks lets private citizens sue anyone who, quote, aids and abets a woman seeking an abortion. Carmen, what kind of activity does that cover? It's kind of hard to say because it's not well-defined in the law. Um, Basically, the woman herself, the woman who seeks an abortion, could not be sued. Um, And if, let's say, she hires an Uber driver or a Lyft driver to drive her to an abortion clinic and the you know and the driver has no idea that she's there to get an abortion maybe he thinks she works there or she's just visiting a friend you know then that person can't be sued but it does open the door for basically friends family um anybody who potentially counsels a pregnant woman to get an abortion past a certain date after that you know fetal heartbeat is detected, it it puts them at risk of getting sued. And then, of course, obviously, um, physicians or medical staff that um, perform an abortion or help perform an abortion, they, of course, are at risk as well. And can I just jump in with a a quick question for Dana? Um, Just reading through some of the stories that you guys have written recently, I think you all pointed out that the phrase heartbeat is somewhat of a misnomer. Um, Could you guys just quickly explain the significance of that six-week mark and why people associate a heartbeat with that point? Yeah, so it's a bit of a misnomer in that um, at six weeks, um, the the chambers of the heart of an embryo have not developed yet. um, And at at six weeks, um, you would you would refer to it as an embryo rather than a fetus, which is later on in in the development. Um, so that's kind of a misnomer. Um, but what you could uh, theoretically hear at at roughly six weeks is um, some 
fetal cardiac activity. Um, and that would be like, it's a bit tough to explain, but basically when you have an ultrasound, that ultrasound machine could translate some of that cardiac activity um, into what might sound like a heartbeat. It, it's translating those um, electronic impulses into a sound that, you know, if you're the, if you're that person getting an ultrasound, you might hear something that resembles a heartbeat. So that's what we're, we're talking about there. So Oklahoma is one of 13 states that have trigger laws in place that uh, would ban abortions if Roe v. Wade were overturned. Uh, leaked documents recently from the U.S. Supreme Court show that the 1973 decision of Roe v. Wade could be overturned soon. Carmen, if that were to happen, what would be the immediate impact from these trigger laws in Oklahoma? Basically, immediately you would see abortion would be totally outlawed in Oklahoma, almost totally. The one exception would be um, if a woman needs an abortion to essentially save her life. That would be the one exception. Um, but the trigger law essentially... Um, goes back to these statutes that have been on the books for years and just not implemented because Roe v. Wade was essentially the law of the land. Um, and so there are a couple specific laws that would take effect. Um, one, like I mentioned, would just be to prohibit abortion except to save the life of a mother. And two would be making performing an abortion a felony. Um, and that previous statutes in Oklahoma law say that would be punishable with at least two years in prison, but that could increase to, say, 10 years in prison based on the law that Governor Stitt signed earlier this year. It's all very complicated because we have so many um, anti-abortion laws on the books already, and lawmakers are passing more this year. So it's kind of like a tad complicated in like which laws actually apply if Roe v. Wade is, is overturned. But one thing I can say for sure is that Oklahoma will basically ban most abortions as soon as possible. So, Dana, you wrote that restrictions on abortion could have serious ramifications for how Oklahomans receive care during pregnancy. So how have doctors reacted to laws that could lead to a felony conviction or prison time for performing an abortion? I spoke with a couple of um, OBGYNs about, um, about you know, the laws that have been signed. And at that point when I was talking to them, some of them were still up in the air. Um, but I think the big takeaway for me was that, um, you know, and Carmen mentioned that um, both the law that would make abortion a felony to perform, which would be, you know, that would be a physician doing that, or the Texas style ban. Um, they both have exceptions for a medical emergency, but that's not defined in, in those um in those laws. And so the doctors that I spoke to were saying, that's a very gray area because, I mean, when does when does a life-threatening medical condition become an emergency? And their, their concern was, what if someone down the line says, I intervened too soon, I, I referred or I performed this abortion um, before someone else might think that it was appropriate to do so? So I think they're they're very concerned about that. Um, they're concerned about you know the number of different conditions that can happen to someone during pregnancy um, that the doctor might feel like they have their hands tied if someone um, you know has an infection or all sorts of things that can happen. They're just worried about 
are my hands going to be tied? Am I not going to be able to provide the care that I want to for this patient to save their lives? Um, or, you know, in the in the case of, um, you know, their, their child's life, they, they're very concerned about what these restrictions will mean for them and that there's not a ton of clarity on what what counts as a medical emergency. Yeah, and, and one thing that we haven't explicitly asked about so far during this podcast is what exceptions are in place in some of these new laws. Um, Carmen, you touched on what would be contained within the trigger laws, which have yet to be triggered because Roe versus Wade is still the law of the land. It it hasn't been overturned yet. So within these new laws that have been signed um, by our our, our governor recently, are there exceptions for rape and incest um, and, and, you know, just how bad do things have to get for it to be classified as a, a medical emergency? So um, in the laws that have passed, there's uh, there's basically an exception for in, in the instance of a medical emergency. But like Dana said, it's, it's not well defined what that is and what constitutes a medical emergency. Um, specifically in the, you know, the Texas style law that already took effect, um, that one does not include a, an exception for rape or for incest. And I I feel like you're seeing more and more now, and maybe I could be wrong on this, but that you're seeing fewer exceptions in states that want to ban abortion. They're, you know, they're they're not doing so much as many exceptions for things like rape or incest or sexual assault, things like that. Gotcha. So clinics and doctors who currently provide abortions in Oklahoma um, say they already see the effects of similar restrictive laws in other states. So Dana, what have they observed, especially since Texas put its restrictions in place? We heard from some um, some abortion clinic providers that um, that since the Texas um, six-week ban was in place, which was um, in 2021, that there was a huge, huge increase um, of of people traveling from Texas to Oklahoma to, to get an abortion after that six-week mark. Um, obviously, now Oklahoma will not be a, a place where those people are, are traveling to, so now it's you know, Oklahomans who would be looking for out-of-state options. I know that to, to some extent, um, the clinic's at this point are still offering abortions if, if you are within that um, six-week time frame, which I'll mention just since we haven't said it yet. I mean, that's before a lot of people would know that they're pregnant. That means your your period's two weeks late. So that's a very tight time frame to A, know that you're pregnant and B, like make an appointment and get to where you're going to go. Um, so they've definitely seen a big increase um, since Texas put those restrictions in place. Though I would say now uh, that's not really, it's, it's sort of moot now. So Dana, there's also a concern that income disparity could play an even bigger role in women's health if abortion is banned in Oklahoma. Why is that? Yeah, um, I think what we've heard from the, the doctors and experts on this issue is that they're concerned that this will kind of create a tiered system um, where people who have the means to, um, you know, to take time off work, to arrange childcare if they need childcare, um, and then to travel to wherever they need to go um, to get a legal, safe abortion, um, they will be able to do that because they have the means to do that. And for people who, you know, can't take time off work, um, don't have a way to get where they need to go, um, you know, they're not going to be able to access abortions the same way someone um, 
with more means could. So that that's what they're talking about there when they're concerned about, you know, low income people are going to have a harder time accessing abortion um, specifically going forward. So we're already seeing some legal challenges to the laws that have passed in Oklahoma. Carmen, what's the status of these lawsuits? And do advocates who, who favor abortion access, do they have any reason to be optimistic? Um, I'll answer your last question first. Do they have any reason to be optimistic? I think a lot of reproductive rights groups, um, those that uh, support abortion rights, I mean, those folks, I think they've known that this day was probably coming for a long time. And with the leaked draft of uh, the very possible Supreme Court opinion that indicates they the court may overturn Roe, you know, I think there's little to be optimistic about, but I think many of those groups are um, focused on still trying to get women care uh, where they can. And I think they they intend that parts of the country will just basically be abortion-free zones. There will be whole swaths of the country, namely red states probably, that will not allow abortion. And so I think the new challenge for these groups would be, you know, getting those women across state lines to help them get an abortion if that's what they want. Now, going to the legal aspect of things, it's interesting because we're very much sort of in limbo um, in waiting to see what the Supreme Court says. Now, while there have been a couple challenges filed against these Oklahoma-specific laws, the Texas-style abortion ban and then the one to make it a felony, um, it it depends. I mean, if, if the Oklahoma Supreme Court decides on those cases soon, they could potentially strike down one of those laws, you know. But if they wait until June when the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court decision is expected to come out and if the U.S. Supreme Court says, you know, oh, well, we overturned Roe and we allow the states to regulate abortion now, it's going to be very unlikely that the Oklahoma Supreme Court comes back and says, hey, uh, you know, we're going to strike down these laws because they think they're unconstitutional. It used to be that a lot of these anti-abortion laws were struck down. I mean, it, at the Oklahoma legislature, it seems like every year they pass anti-abortion laws. And many have been held up in court for years. Many have been struck down as unconstitutional on the basis of Roe. But if Roe no longer stands, then the only hope that I think abortion rights supporters would have is trying to find other case law or other precedent in, say, a state Supreme Court to say that a woman has a right to an abortion. And I don't know if that if you can find that in the Oklahoma Constitution. Gotcha. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on that and to Dana for explaining some of the health implications for patients in Oklahoma. Um, And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahomans subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.